Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is evening here on September the 11th, obviously a a somber day in in U.S. history, but I was uh, listening to the radio this morning and I heard about another sort of famous event that happened on this day that this day was known for before it became September 11th. Any guesses? The September 11th coup in Chile. Um, so this was the obviously the the socialist leader Salvador Allende had been elected there, and um, Augustus Pinochet, the name I'm sure you will remember, in sort of a violent coup, overthrew him, um, and not so secretly with the help of uh, the U.S. government. So that was sort of the major event in in world history. Well, at least in the last hundred years or so prior to it being known for what we all know it for today. Um, and I think it's, it's a little bit of an interesting through line that I'm going to try and draw for you, but it's yeah, been a wait, while I'm since we, draw this. yeah, <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a while since we've, um, since we've gotten to hang out, you know, we, uh, we had a, a little labor day off and uh, Congress not being in session gave us some, brief bit in the political news cycle but uh what you been up to it has been ricky we had 100 episodes and decided to give ourselves a little vacation for a couple of weeks here and it did coincide nicely and this was not unintentional with the congressional recess and there has been a little bit of a respite in political news which i think was probably good for everybody so we felt like a few weeks away wouldn't be the worst thing but we're excited to be back i'm excited to be back talking to you and hopefully people are excited to tune back into politics we're getting back into election season at least at the local level here in boston there are city council primaries tomorrow which is a very small thing but i would imagine communities all over the country there are a lot of these smaller elections that are going on within the next couple of months um, leading up to november with some potentially bigger elections in in local municipalities. So I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye on those races. And I imagine many of our listeners will be as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, since, uh, since we've chatted also, we've had uh, the, the big, maybe the big event was the, was the U S open. Did you catch any of the tennis? Caught a lot of the tennis. And I have to say, I was thrilled with this past weekend if, if I could have drawn it up at the start of the tournament, Novak Djokovic, who is my all, is my favorite male tennis player, won his 24th record Grand Slam. And Coco Goff, the, the young American phenom, finally broke through. And it's almost a joke to say finally because she's 19 years old, but did break through after and, and won her first Grand Slam. So we had Coco bursting onto the scene and winning her first at 19 years old and Novak continuing his dominance and uh, extending his record to 24 at 36 years old. So people at the ends of the spectrum of their careers, but two of my personal favorite players. So I was thrilled with the outcome. And Ricky, you were fortunate enough to be able to attend the tournament for, I believe, the first time. What was that like? 
Yes, my my first ever trip, definitely to a, a Grand Slam of any kind. But I'll, yeah, also first trip to the U.S. Open. And I got to say, I hope to be able to make it an annual trip. It was it's incredible. I mean, you know, very blessed this year um, that American tennis is really back um, sort of resurging. Obviously, on the women's side, it, it really never went anywhere. But on the men's side, um, this this go around with Tiafo, Fritz, um, Shelton, there are just so many, uh, players, um, that get that home crowd support, which is really fun to watch in tennis. Cause it's this, you know, the, the dead silence of the, the start of the rally. And then as the rallies get more intense, the ooze start to get a little louder. And it's, uh, it's really, I think unique in, in the sporting world, what you get in, in a tennis match. Um, and it was, and it was, yeah, it was the, all of it was just, uh, was cool to see. We, we watched a few, um, sort of marquee matchups on the, on the women's side. It was, we went Labor Day, so it was early in the tournament, but also just got to pop out and see some, see some under 18s who did not look like I looked when I was 18. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> um, and, and some fun doubles too, which I played a lot of when I was in high school on the junior varsity team, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't see myself in any of them, uh, luckily for them, but it was, yeah, it was, a it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Super jealous that you got to go. And I hope to be able to make that trip potentially, actually, we should do this as like a podcast trip every year, but it was a phenomenal tournament to watch on TV and would love to be able to go myself at, at some point. And I think Ricky, it's inspired us. Our renewed interest in watching tennis has inspired us to try to get out there and, and play some tennis too, which maybe even a little bit healthier for us than than the golf that we've been playing in the past couple of years. That's true. If you watched any of the U.S. Open, I think at one point or another, you may have heard the stat that playing tennis somehow extends your life by a certain number of years. And, you know, we've done... done <laughs> We've we've had our fair share of things that that bring us in the other direction. So tennis is definitely uh, um, is 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 good. It's it's good for us. That's for sure. Yeah, and Ricky, you mentioned we've dusted off the rackets, but you and I were talking too. Is that it? Just tennis seems to be back, just in in general. Not only with American males and American women too. Not only Coco Golf being the the, the star, but whether it was Madison Keys making the run or Jessica Pagula, but just you look at some of these celebrities and obviously it's New York city, but it felt like Jimmy Butler was at all of these matches. We had Lil Wayne was there yesterday, Leonardo DiCaprio, John Hamm, Matthew McConaughey was sitting in Djokovic's box. We could go on and on and on. Kevin Durant was there for Coco's win. It's a, it feels it, we were talking about this yesterday that it, it feels like tennis is, is having a moment. I, I'm not totally sure why that is, whether it's some combination of American men being back in addition to Coco kind of being this next star that we haven't had since young Venus and Serena a generation ago. But maybe all of those things, in addition to Alcaraz, who's the young male star and Djokovic still hanging on, and you get to watch the greatest tennis player of all time, is all of these sort of factors that seem like tennis is is cool, which as a longtime fan of tennis is fun for me to watch. Yeah, it. I mean, really fun to reflect on that, obviously, because the courts at the U.S. Open are named after Arthur Ashe, who, you know, kind of broke broke this like in in many ways, like the real color barrier in tennis uh, 50, 60 some odd years ago. Um, And now to see 
it get become part of the the of like more pop culture which is very cool because they were i mean they were like rappers there justin bieber was there you you list rattled off a list of names too um and i think you know that that's no small part in you know based on what arthur ash did when he won the u.s open but also what venus and serena did even guys like james lake who never really did like a ton uh well <laughs> that that's not the right word but he didn't he didn't win a ton um but he sort of like did a lot to broaden tennis's reach i think you know when you think about that on like the golf side and tiger woods and other other people who've been able to break the uh kind of the mold of who you think of when you think of tennis players um and i mean even guys like johnny mack it was not as much like at the you know, getting out of this very buttoned up and stodgy kind of sport um, into something that is like entertainment. And yeah, if you watched any of the U.S. Open, whether you play tennis or not, A, it's kind of very easy to follow. You can tell who's winning or losing um, in every point, but that, yeah, there's a lot, um, there's a lot to, to get behind there, which is, which is definitely cool. I think one of the other storylines, which I probably wasn't as in tune to, but uh, you were, and certainly um, I went with our our friend Dan, who's been on this podcast a couple of times. Was sort of the uh, the uh, the Russians. I'll just put it. I'll just I'll just drop it out there. Uh, that that did very well in the tournament. Medvedev, Sabal- oh, well, Sabalenka's from Belarus, but uh, Rublev also. Um, but there's this kind of idea that. Um, you know, when they're out there, you didn't exactly sense that the crowd wasn't, was rooting against them, but there's kind of this, like, if, if only tongue in cheek, um, uh, hope that they're not, uh, winning, which I, I thought was interesting. And here's, here's my through line. Uh, uh all right. Wow. You ready for this? <laughs> it is indeed so, for all of you that stuck around through, through that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. If you get lost, if you get lost in my thoughts with me, you will, you, it's hard to get back out. I, I find it difficult to get out of my own head at times, but this kind of idea that, right. So in 1970s, eighties, early nineties, until the fall of the Berlin wall, right. Who's the big bad wolf. It's always, well, then the Soviet union, um, but then, of course, September 11th happens and the gears switch. All of a sudden, America's greatest threat is in the Middle East, right? And so we go 20 years. As you said, we did a an episode marking the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War really not that long ago. Uh, we know the exit from Afghanistan was also <clears throat> in the very, very recent past. Um, but just like that. And at sort of like the the flip of a switch, we're kind of back to uh, to to Russia being the central focus of foreign policy and the biggest threat to America. Um, I think it's interesting to see some some of the dynamic shift, though. At the same time, like the USA versus USSR games had a very different undertone um, twenty thirty years ago than than something like you know, what you saw at at the U S open, although there is this mixing of sports and politics. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, if, 
if I lost you there, but what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. That I, 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 I totally followed that. I, I guess if you were looking at it through the glass half full lens, as I try to intend to do, you would say that we've come a long way where you know someone like Daniil Medvedev, who was in, in the finals and was, was Russian, was not only allowed to compete here in the United States at that hour grand championship, but also while he was maybe not being rooted for him, I would imagine there were some people in the crowd who were rooting for him and everyone treated him fairly respectfully through through the entire tournament and maybe were able to separate the individual citizens from the country in ways that perhaps we weren't a generation or two ago. And that's probably a lot due to how small the world has become in recent generations where we actually get to know these people where before we were just these Russians or these, you know, know, Daniel Medvedev or Alex Ovechkin, or we can go on and on, Maria Shep, or or all these athletes that we've gotten to know for a long time, we might be able to separate them from their, the actions of their government. We can abhor one while still respecting the other. And we've talked a lot about that and whether it's with Chinese citizens or Israeli citizens or Iranians as whomever, right. That, that sometimes it's very difficult to separate them, but this, potentially is a moment to say that it seems like we're getting better at that. I love that silver lining with, with that. What are we talking about this week? We've got what I think will be an interesting conversation. So even though there has been a lull in national political news, one thing that has caught both of our attention is down in Texas, the state near and dear to to my heart And that is the impeachment trial of the attorney general down there, Ken Paxton. And we'll get into all of the, or some of the nitty gritty of what's, why he's being impeached. But what's come out of it, what's generated some conversation between you and I over the past few weeks is about what we, the collective we as like United States citizens considered to be worth pursuing from a criminal justice standpoint and how whether if we're going to go with the generic right and left that people seem to be split on what they consider crimes or at least important crimes that are worth prosecuting and we will probably get into a little bit of since we last talked president trump was indicted for the fourth time overall this time down in georgia hunter biden's plea deal fell apart and now there's a special counsel that's investigating him and so there might be we will try, similar to how you just did, to, to run a through line through these individual instances and really look at what I imagine this conversation is going to be, Ricky, is like, what do we consider like equal under the law? And I'm not sure that we're going to have an answer to that. I'm actually quite sure that we won't. But I think looking at some of these instances, maybe will give us a fuller picture of it. That sounds good. All right. Before we get in, a reminder, it has been a few weeks, but for all our loyal listeners out here, I hope you remember that the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. As always, if you get anything from them, let them know that we sent you. And uh, Ricky, what's a tree's least favorite month? September. Yeah, September, Ricky. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, so yeah, it's it's always a dangerous month for trees. 
I almost got it. That was pretty good. I try to be topical, so I'm like, I feel like you had it. That's what I was going with. All right, let's get into it. So we're going to start with the saga down in Texas and use that for a jumping off point for the larger conversation. Ken Paxton is arguably the most famous attorney, state attorney general in the country. He was first elected as Texas attorney general in 2014, took office in the beginning of 2015. And since then, he has been on the right side of every conservative issue. He, as state attorney generals are able to do, you're able to sue the United States or the or the like officers, officials in the United States government, federal administration. So he was at the forefront leading the anti-affordable, the legal challenges to the Affordable Care Act. He has been at the forefront of anti-LGBTQ and anti-abortion issues. He's been at the forefront of advancing Second Amendment rights, was adamant about pushing back on COVID restrictions uh he like pretty much every major cultural issue immigration he's been he's been leading the way voting cracking down on voter fraud he's been leading the way like pretty much every major flashpoint cultural issue in the last eight years ken paxton and texas have been leading the way and so not only is he ascended in fame and popularity on the right he's he's become again i would say one of the probably most famous state politicians in the country Starting in 2015, he also faced legal trouble. He was uh, indicted for securities fraud in 2015. In that case, eight years later, is still bouncing around the courts. Back in the beginning of, or at the end of 2020, he was, Wilson Blowers also came forward detailing a number of other allegations against him, including of abusive office and bribery. He offered to try to settle those, those cases with taxpayer money. But after that came to light, the Texas legislature uh, impeached him in May with 20 articles of impeachment. The Texas legislature, that's the House of Representatives and our state Senate, is controlled by Republicans. Ken Paxton, obviously, is, is also a Republican. And that trial of Ken Paxton just got underway last week. And for a lot of reasons, this is a case that has generated interest not only amongst the legal and political classes, but caught our attention too, Ricky. So I'll throw it to you. Why was this something that you thought you, why, why do you want to talk about this? What about this case caught, caught your eye? Well, I think it's, it's actually a good question. I, I think it's probably in part because I read the New York times and as the uh, newspapers, and news outlets like to do pointing out hypocrisy is like a is definitely a way to get sort of your you know as as long as you're pointing out someone else's hypocrisy it's like it's a good good way to get the 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 blood pumping early in the morning and 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 kind of hooks you in and so this the situation from a high level is really like okay you know we kind of know that there's probably enough here that, you know, a, a fully objective, unbiased uh, jury, so to speak, would impeach him. But that's not the case, or that's not how this works, right? As you noted, he's a Republican who has a lot of fame and clout within the Republican Party, specifically 
the hard right portion, like Steve Bannon is one of his big fans. Um, can other Republicans now hold him accountable? And of course, this is, I thought this was interesting because in many ways, it's a bit of a microcosm for what we're seeing, witnessing in Georgia. But I think you also were able to connect this just like more broadly to this idea of and now I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think you, you, maybe you'll agree with me when I say, like, I guess, selective enforcement um, of the of the law that something that we pro- that that doesn't get a ton of attention that obviously the laws exist and are far reaching um, in terms of their implications as to who's on which side of them. But there's always this other component, which is somebody has to be willing to bring the case and then argue the case and win the case um, in order for those laws to be upheld. And in certain instances, you can be in places where the only people who are equipped or sort of like have the legal authority to try you are also your friends. Um, And so this, you know, if we, if we want to, like start with kind of you know what what's hypocritical about this i think the crime and punishment party has always been the republican party but now you know not not necessarily since trump but maybe more amplified during the trump administration and since then there's a little bit of like well the rules don't apply or when the rules apply to me it's just a democratic witch hunt um or a democrat led witch hunt um so maybe we can start there. But I yeah, I had a I had a lot of thoughts and I thought I thought you had some interesting connections more broadly as well. Well, hypocrisy has long bothered me. It's probably one of the things that I've railed against most. And I know I've railed against lots of things in the three years we've been doing this, Ricky, but I feel like that's one of the most consistent ones that I've said. I've tried, tried not to be hypocritical myself. I've tried to be consistent in calling hypocrisy out on both sides. And in this case, while the outcome remains to be seen. I was encouraged by what I saw because, as I noted, Republicans control the state, uh, the House of Representatives, where the articles of impeachment originated and were voted on. I believe that Republican there are 150 seats in the Texas state uh, state house, and Republicans control 85 of those, which is 56, 57 percent. And the vote on impeachment was 121 to 39. And to me. That or one twenty, it was one twenty one to twenty three, and there were six people that didn't vote. I spoke on that. So one twenty one twenty three tells me like this is really what I've been looking for for a long time. Where regardless of the party, if we feel like, and again, these are still charged allegations, charges like he hasn't been like actually impeached. He hasn't. They haven't voted on to actually impeach him in the, in the Senate, and they could decide to acquit him tomorrow for all I know. But. This is what I, like I said, I've been looking for in that if we feel like the charges are there where we should go forward with the prosecution, regardless of who it is, regardless of Ken Paxton's popularity about it, regardless of the amount of money that he has in his campaign finances, regardless of all of the potentially really good things that you think he has done. And I'm sure there are lots of people that think he's done really bad things, but for many Republicans in the 
state legislature, they probably are fans of a lot of what he has done legally and politically over over the course of his tenure. But if he is breaking the law, allegedly, then they're saying that he should be held accountable for that. And that's where I was encouraged. And you wouldn't necessarily think out of Texas, like Texas Republicans don't necessarily get a great rap nationally, but you wouldn't necessarily think that this is the state that was going to say, to your point, Ricky, like if we do believe in the rule of law, if that's something, if we have a platform that would be an integral leg of that platform, it has certainly been traditionally, then it has to apply equally to everyone. And again, it remains to be seen if that final blow will be struck in favor of the rule of law, if Ken Paxton is found guilty of these things, and he did these things. But I was encouraged that it felt like this was a bipartisan consensus to to try to hold people that are violating laws accountable. Yeah, I think I think this is an interesting case because I mean you you pointed out the split in the house in the Texas House um which is you know plenty con- plenty Republican controlled obviously the governor Abbott is a Republican Ken Paxton is a Republican so like although there are Democrats in and around in general the show is still run very much by Republicans but or not but um, but I think this the 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 charges against him were perhaps harder to ignore because all of the whistleblowers themselves were also Republicans. All of the people aware of the things that he was doing and sort of advising him, hey, maybe don't do all these things because they're kind of ridiculous and like at some point you might get in trouble for them. We're all Republicans. And so I think there's like a you know, it's it's almost very easy when the other side lobs an accusation at you to be like, well, this is politically motivated, right? Very much like Donald Trump is doing. And to a degree, they're trying to do that. I think the defenders of Paxton are also trying to do that. But it's just a, that much harder when the main people who spoke up in the first place were technically also on your side of the aisle. Um which I think I think you're right, and to some degree is, is a bit restorative in in kind of the this whole effort that people individually can still have their own moral compasses despite what sort of party leaders are doing um, and can speak up. But it still remains to be seen whether or not he will actually be impeached and removed from office. Exactly. And we'll definitely keep an eye on that. There's 31 seats in the Texas State Senate, 19 of which are controlled by Republicans, one of which is actually his wife is is in the Texas State Senate. So that's all that. If, if you're into like the drama of this, there, there's certainly plenty here. We don't really need to get into it. But I agree. But Ricky, as, as you said, President Trump has put on social media that this is, you know, in all caps, election interference, that they're interfering with Paxton's ability to be reelected as the attorney general because they don't like his policies that he's pursued. Ted Cruz has said that it's a travesty what's happening. Ted Cruz is obviously is also up for reelection in 2024. And I'm sure there are plenty of hard right conservatives who will call anybody that votes for him rhinos and, and say that and, and pres- hopefully in, in their minds put forth primary challengers on the right to those people but it's it is it takes some of that out of the sale like it takes some of like the wind out of their sails like you're saying when it, it is bipartisan of course 
we have intentionally not talked about all of Trump's indictments because one, you can get that from a million other sources. And there's, there's not so much that you and I can say that hasn't been said before. And we also, there are so many other things that people to talk about that just wasting some, so much of our time on, on him and these have not felt like a good use of our time, our, really our precious time when we, when we, you and I have the chance to talk. But this is exactly why it's been such a problem on the national level and why President Trump and his supporters have been so effective at painting this as a democratic witch hunt is because you didn't have the the Republicans at the national level step up and say that this isn't right. The, the ones that you did have, the Liz Cheney's and the Adam Kinzinger's of the world, like they were immediately shunned from their party and then voted out of office. And they have no, they no longer have the power and the platform that they once did. And so when it really is, when you're getting these votes that are strictly party lines, for the most part, there are others out there, the Romneys of the world, but for the most part, then it, it it's a self-reinforcing narrative. And if nobody breaks ranks on the Republican side, then like you have a good argument that everyone that, that every one of your leaders, everyone that you voted for, everyone that you look to for guidance is saying that this is a witch hunt. It's not a surprise. So many people believe it. So, and, and maybe this is how we continue to get this even more high level. I think Democrats by and large, obviously generalizing here would see what's happening in Texas would see what's happening in Georgia and, you know, even the failed impeachment a- attempts of Donald Trump in the past and say that this is the biggest threat to our democracy. If we cannot hold our elected officials accountable for crimes they commit while they're in office and to some degree, yes, some of them are maybe personal and smaller, but we all sort of it's like. It's part of the compact, right? We all abide by these laws. If we can't hold them accountable, then we've lost to some degree, like what makes America, America. And I think one of the things that we were talking about as we were trying to figure out, like, what is, what's an interesting way to take this episode is that if you were, if you probably poll people on the right, particularly people who are sort of preaching innocence, but even those who are like, this just isn't that big of a deal. Um, I think you'd get kind of a different take on what is, what is threatening to America. And I thought that, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I I would concur with that is that, and we certainly seem to be heading I don't want to get ahead of myself and I certainly hope that I am wrong, Ricky, but it's certainly, we, we seem to be heading back to a Trump Biden showdown again. And I think we will, we will see this in the next year. If that's the case, that president Biden will be making the case forcefully that the biggest threat to our democracy is president Trump and his followers, because he doesn't have respect for the constitution. He doesn't respect the rule of law. doesn't respect these fundamental values that we have held dear as a country for 250 years. President Trump will counter by saying the biggest threat to America is open borders, is the, is anti-freedom that the Democrats are putting on you, whether it's, you know, through mandates or vaccines or trying to reel in your second amendment rights or, 
It's it's we're just allowing you know, the biggest threats are crime that are that are in drugs that are all coming in, and both I would imagine will paint unfortunately like this existential crisis to our country. And both fall like sets of followers will eat that up. Both truly believing that the other side and the potential dangers that the other side represents is the most dire threat to our country. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's no secret that trying to make people afraid is the, I think, the number one tactic of politicians, particularly ones that don't inspire a ton of like, this is what I'm going to do to make things better. It's this is what they're going to do to make things worse. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I think your characterization of of exactly what's going to happen um, in terms of like how each will try and portray the other is is pretty spot on. Um, I guess I wonder. No, I mean, and yeah, I I I, I guess I, I'm not entirely sure if that's that's not going to sort of play out exactly like that. Yeah, but I think one thing that you and I agree on is that all of these things are concerning. And you and I, maybe we slightly differ in like the order of the things that we would put these concerns in, whether the the threat to democracy that President Trump presents, how much of a threat that you think it is versus how much I think it is versus what we think how concerning open borders are or rises in crime are. But I think all of those things that you and I would say yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't want any of those things to happen. But I worry that where you have a split and where people get entrenched is saying that, um, like the what if I'm on the right, I actually don't think that President Trump and his followers represent a threat to democracy at all, and I actually don't think that they represent a f- threat to people's freedom regarding their bodily autonomy or their voting rights. And if I'm on the other side, I might think that having a, this really disgraceful immigration system and border situation, that's really not a problem at all. And that crime actually isn't really an issue. And and that's where I think you're getting, and maybe that's just more on the polarized side. And so that's the rhetoric you hear, but it's not just like, all right, all of these things are issues and we should present solutions to all of them. It's really just, I actually don't think that that's an issue. Only your side has issues. What do you think of the fact that President Trump and or the Ken Paxons of the world are actually the only ones who are kind of embodying the existential crisis that Democrats might be worried about? Whereas, like, you can sort of blame the Biden administration for the situation at the border, but he inherited it and it was inherited, you know, from his predecessor and so on and so forth. Um, I guess to what degree does it matter who is responsible for sort of the current state of affairs versus who can be kind of blamed for them? If you can just draw a distinction. Well, at a political level, it doesn't matter who's responsible it's who whoever you can blame right that's that's the only thing that matters if you're trying to win an election yeah 
I think that's, I think that's accurate and unfortunate. I will say that one maybe parallel aspect of this conversation is just this feeling that, and I think this exists on, on both sides is that people are not being held accountable equally. And I think there's, there was this big fear on the left for a long time that president Trump was really going to get to walk away after January 6th and everything that happened from it. And everyone was just going to be like, well, I hope you just kind of go away and go chill in Mar-a-Lago. And, and there was going to be no charges that came from this. Uh, and I don't know that 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 they were wrong, that if, and President Trump was wrong, that if he decided not to run again, that I don't know that he would have faced all of these charges that he's currently facing. I think that's probably a legitimate point. But I think now that President Trump has been indicted four times, there's a, the outcry on the right of that this is really selective and political persecution, and that the whataboutisms of someone like Hunter Biden, who does it feels like every time bad news comes out about hunter biden the solution is we'll just indict trump again and that that all the way president trump and his allies are being martyred at the the hands of the justice systems across the country while hunter biden and the biden like crime family just gets this skate free and that's i think this this idea of like they that there's like selective prosecution that idea has been nurtured by people on the right yeah it's which is i I mean and i don't i i think there is an element to which democrats would dismiss the charters of hunt of hunter biden as more or less inconsequential i mean based on who he is yes president's son but in terms of like influence and other things really not that consequential other than he's become this like darling of the the right and their huge punching bag. I think the thing that's interesting as well, if we talk about prosecution is that the person in charge of, of investigating Hunter Biden is a holdover from the Trump administration, where as we know, kind of what Donald Trump did when he got into office and just basically fired anybody he could who might have, uh, basically any leanings towards Obama or have been an Obama appointee. And that included some Republican, some Republicans. So that, I mean, there, I I think this is just another one of those things where Democrats will say yes, but they're not equal. Just like, you can't just say, what about this and have it be some other situation that's just not equal to the fact that the sitting president of the United States did what he did and constitutes a far greater threat. And I think this is where it comes back to like the idea of selective prosecution, right? There is only a certain amount of resources that any city government, state government, federal government has to file charges. And there is an element to which they're going to be politically motivated. But there's also this idea that we that in order to have a system that works, we unfortunately cannot go after every single crime uh, because it's just it's too costly that like transaction kind of costs are too high to make that like perfect justice system. A, obviously, we can only go after crimes where we can prove guilt or more or less get it, get some confession somehow. Right. That's in theory how how it works. And then on top, so then then you have to prioritize and prioritizing means that to some degree, 
things that will have like the greatest importance or potentially like the greatest deterrent effect, right? You don't want your sitting presidents doing these things. (laughs) And if you don't want them to be done, then you have to prosecute the offender when the when the evidence is like out in the open that everyone knows kind of more or less, you know, what happened and what he did. Right. So that, that I think makes it a very different situation than did Hunter Biden have a gun that he wasn't supposed to have. And I don't even really know why I'm defending Hunter Biden in this case. Like, I don't, I don't understand how he got money from a Ukrainian utility. Like I don't understand. And I'm sure it wasn't on the up and up. But if I'm, it's not, to me, it's not a whataboutism because they're just not the same thing. Well, that's what you're defending. You're, you're because, but that's unfortunately, I think what we're going to get. And we're in a situation where to Republicans and President Trump's great luck, President Biden has a very troubled son who has done some shady, if not outright criminal things. And that's what it's going to be is President Biden is going to try to point and say like, he is a threat to democracy because he violates the rule of law and has no respect for that. Well, in President Trump will just say, well, what about your son? Right. And even though they are not equal, enough people out there are, are able to equate them. And so I think if you're a President Biden fan, this is a, a very unfortunate liability. But I think, Ricky, one thing that we've talked about is that President Trump, for reasons that are still inexplicable to me, is able to connect with people that feel like they have been looked over and look past and look through and feel like they don't have a voice. And they see that in their political leaders, but they also see that in their justice system where they say that like, look, this is just another example of all those people who are kind of out to get my, me and my guy. And president Trump has done a phenomenal job painting that like, this isn't just about me. This is about all of you too. And that's where I think people that don't have a a nuanced understanding of the differences in like the charges of President Trump or Hunter Biden can say that like this is just another example of the government, the deep state, what have you, working against people like me. Yeah, I mean that that kind of conspiracy element in there is um, is I think a, yeah, like a really interesting one. Just kind of to like even bring it back to how we started the episode and you know, where most conspiracy theories started or, you know, that the government was out to get me generally the conservative government out to get me on the, on the left, sort of a holdover from McCarthy and, and, you know, what have you, I think, I think it's, it's sort of important to like, keep this like bird's eye view of (laughs) this isn't, unique it's it's interesting now that how how far it's swung but equally like how you know we at some point we started dismissing people who think in these conspiracy theories as totally crazy but right now you've probably got a good 25 percent 30 percent of the country that's believing in you know like 80 percent of these conspiracy theories i'm just making up numbers but it's not an inconsequential amount Oh, I just actually saw this fact today, Ricky, they did a poll and you're probably aware that COVID's back on the upswing. People are going back to school. The weather is getting a little colder. People are spending more time. All these reasons that it would be kind of normal to expect a flu variant, essentially, to be back on the upswing. And they did a poll in New Hampshire. You and I have friends, family in New Hampshire. We have spent a lot of time up there. 
smart people up there, educated people up there. And 61% said that they felt like this increase in COVID was the Democrats trying to get things on their side for the election. And uh, like I was, it was, it's just like one of those, and we, we could pick up dozens of, of stats that are that polls show that are like that and it's almost impossible for me to believe but these polls aren't lying like people really believe these things and that's where it's it's so frustrating to me as someone that's very new in the legal field but one of the things that always attracted me to the law was this idea of everyone being equal under it and even though i i am very well aware that has never been true in the country's history that it's still very much not true today it's that aspirational goal, like so much of, of the United States of, look, we do want to strive where it's everyone is equal under the law, no matter who it is, whether you are the son of a president or the attorney general of a state or even the president of the United States. If you break the law, you are going to be held accountable. And that's what I really love about it. And it's it's honestly sad for me when I see people that just don't believe in that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I and I know that you know this won't it, this wouldn't have been the first time that something like this has has um, has disappointed you. Obviously, like you know, in the other direction, a Democratic AGs stepping into cities and point blank saying we're not going to enforce immigration law or whatever. So, yeah, similarly, I'm sure. Um, I I think it's I think the point is still valid though that like if you create a system that is intended to work off of laws that we ostensibly all or enough of us agree on because it's you know drafted by elected officials who are elected by majorities that you either need to enforce the law as it's written or you need to change the law. You can't yes. have individuals yes. picking and choosing. But yeah, how do you how do you do that when now it's like half the people are no longer interested in that style of system? They're like, no, I want the laws that I like enforced and the laws that I don't. Yeah. I'd rather you just not no, I, know about yeah. them. Yeah, that, that's a theme that we, you and I have talked to talked about repeatedly since we started this, right? Because when we came along, I think you've said this really nicely before, where these last few years have shown how vulnerable in some ways our democracy is. And you know what saved it is like individuals stepping up, like whether it's on a very small level in, in states like Michigan or Georgia or, or throughout Arizona, throughout the country, who are stepped up and really did the right thing. And they they swore to do a duty and they, they did that duty. And I would argue that the elected members of Texas are, are doing that right now. And it helps when former attorney general Bill Barr is, is on the news and saying that like, hey, I worked for Trump. These allegations that are coming out, they should be troubling to anybody. And that's obviously not going to change. I don't, I expect it to get quite worse in the next 15 months, Ricky, because whereas we're heading into election, it seems to be a race to the bottom in so many ways. But you do need principled leaders of every political persuasion, particularly in the Justice Department and across the country to to do their the jobs that they're supposed to do. And I know you hate leaving on leaving topics on a on a sour note, but if we'd play the hypothetical and Trump is not 
or yeah, his the the charges against him are are either not proven or I don't know. There's some legal technicality that allows him to get out of it because obviously he's running for president or Ken Paxton is kind of allowed to remain attorney general of Texas. What does that, what does that mean for us, for America, for. Well, it remains to be seen. And I think, The beauty of the criminal justice system is that if the state, if the believes that you are guilty of charges, they can bring those charges against you, regardless of who you are. And that's what's happened in both Paxton's case and in Trump's case. But the simultaneous parallel counter beauty of the justice system is that you are innocent until proven guilty. And I I am not going to convict Ken Paxton or Donald Trump until a jury does. And so I have no idea how they're going to turn out. I can't imagine, particularly in the case of President Trump's trials, that it's going to be a smooth ride. But I will let the let the system play out, and we'll see. That is a horrible non-answer, but I suppose I'll let you. I'll let you leave it at that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we. I don't. I don't think we have much of a choice, but but to see. I will. I will say that. There have been so many things in the past where people have, you know, tried to wave some kind of a emergency flag that, hey, if this happens, then the end kind of thing. And I think fortunately, not unfortunately, we're somehow more resilient than that. Although if I'm a if I'm a believer in justice and or a Democrat in Texas, I'm not necessarily holding my breath for the outcome here. I think there's, there does, I don't, I don't, I feel like when we were in school and this is now uh, making me feel a little, (laughs) I, a a little bit older dated and of course potentially a you know a product of our classical education of focusing on like greek and roman heroes of antiquity that like the idea of just like legacy and reputation mattered so much and it something that nobody it's not something you hear much about anymore um which is interesting i don't know or is that just my perception No, it's because it, it's harder for us to agree on someone's legacy. Someone that's a hero to you is a villain to me and vice versa. And there there doesn't seem, to, I don't know if we have a collective sense of who, who are the heroes in our society. And even we talked about this with the Women's World Cup, right? Like you know, Megan, Megan Rapinoe, to me, she might be a hero to you. She might be this uh, sign of everything that's wrong with our society. And it just, it just doesn't feel like there are many people in our society now where we can all rally around being like, this person is, is universally should be is honored and praised. Yeah. I think there was this idea though, that, that there was like a consistency. It didn't necessarily have like, even, you know, some of your, of the people that you were sort of that you would frame as a villain were at least sort of like consistent. I think, I think this is, 
maybe maybe something that 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 like the idea is no one's the sort of the villain of their own story and so if you can at least like follow okay this is what you believe and this is what you don't believe then whether or not everything you believe is everything i believe against you can still sort of maybe admire their commitment to their convictions or principles or something of that nature and i think at least the Republican Party that's so much been about the rule of law, this is such a test because they're just, it feels like in this specific regard, they're willing to throw it all out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And that's been, uh, like, I have to say it frustrating, disappointing, sad, and all of those things. All it's, it's been hard for me to watch in these last four or five years for so much of what I grew up believing and honestly, believe even more to my core these days being thrown away. I was hoping you'd come up with a silver lining for me. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Couple week break. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, yes, let's, uh, let's take a quick break and, and come back. And I do have, well, maybe not happy, some uh, positive thoughts. So as you started the episode by noting correctly, importantly, today is September 11th. If people are interested, we have talked about September 11th, our personal recollections twice before. We talked about it actually in our second ever episode that we did episode two, and then we talked about it on episode 63 two years ago. So if you want to get into Ricky and I's memories of, of that day and the fallout from that, you can you can go back and listen to those episodes, but I didn't want to actually talk about our personal experiences because we've already done that, but more just to note that every year, in some ways, September 11th gets easier because it's farther and farther away. And I was reflecting on that today, and that's really a good thing, that this is the classic like time heals all wounds and it's not as hard to remember how how terrible and how tragic and how terrifying that day and those days were but it's also important to continue to remember and to remember the people that we lost because while it might be easier for me to to reflect on on that day without feeling as much pain for other people. It's a pain they live with every single day. And I've lived with for 22 years now of not having fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, friends um, with them for these last couple of decades. And I imagine it's still very difficult, but also on, on the positive note, the, the heroism of so many first responders in New York, the police officers, the firefighters, EMTs, the heroism of, individuals civilians that we talked about bc always does the man in the red bandana for wells crowther uh in this a great documentary that espn did a few years ago about him 60 minutes does a great piece every year about the the firefighters in particular and highlights the human the really sacrifices that they've made and it's while it, it's good in some ways that time has progressed and, and healing has 
been allowed to happen uh, the heroism of those people i think it's it's always worth going back and watching some of those clips those documentaries those shows because it's really the best of i would say not only americans but people in general it's really it was the worst of people and in, in, in response the best of people that day and the days after and always important as we get farther away to continue to keep those people and their examples in our minds and hearts. I think that's very, very well said. If I had one reflection on this on September 11th, I think it would be that, that we can remember um, exactly what, you know, fellow Americans and what, yeah, what people can do when they're pushed to the, to the absolute brink. And I think if I had a secondary thought, it, it was just this idea that we don't really have as much as in every moment there seems to be like this impending doom or this permanent enemy um, that even in 20 years time, we can really that things can like change um, so much and you know, 20 years before that and 20 years before that, I mean, 20 years, yeah, 80 years, 90 years ago, that was Germany in World War II, right? And they're one of our staunchest allies today. And I think, I think, yeah, of course, to remember the, just the incredible human spirit, but also I think to your point that the world is getting smaller um, and even though we may not be moving sort of forward linearly in the right direction that we have the right arc. Um, yeah. So. See, I knew, <laughs> we, I knew we could do it, Ricky. And I, and that's what it, we're, we're the prisoners of the moment so much. And when we reflect on the state of law and order and justice in our country at this moment, it seems precarious and seems dangerous, but you think back to 22 years ago and how scary and precarious and dangerous the world seemed and how we were able to come through it stronger in so many ways. You hope that we're able to, to overcome and come through this new and very different challenge that we currently face in ways that make us stronger in the future. Agreed. Leave it there. Good to be back. Next time, bud. See you soon. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because even though it did not share The pains we share That American idea Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way 
But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a ram Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The value sometimes Being wrong Some mornings you away The morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Because though we didn't share Opinions we share Loud American ideals Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz There's hope behind the bluster Cause though Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days we'll leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find it Chase the lion's head Folks of different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because Though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.